Do you like asking for help? Do you like asking for help? I think most of us would say, well, it depends on the context. It depends on the situation where we find ourselves in. But by and large, no one really likes feeling helpless. No one likes feeling, being in that position where you're, oh, I just need someone to help me. Can I tell you one place where increasingly I find myself um, helpless and dependent on someone? When I say it, you'll realize it's not just me, but it's a lot of you as well. One place where you, I find myself helpless and dependent on others. In Sainsbury's at the self-service checkout. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I think they're really helpful. I use them when I can. I scan with the best of them. But <laughs> they can quickly turn me into a bit of a mix between, you know, kind of like Basil Fawlty or Victor Meldrew. You know, you're there and you're, you're scanning away. You're scanning away. It's all going swimmingly and smoothly. You're thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm on time. I'm making good progress here. And then all of a sudden, it just stops. <laughs> it stops. And then you get that little red light above you that flashes and says, something's gone wrong. And then you hear the message. Someone is coming to help you. Someone is coming to help you. Now, that message is meant to be good news. It's meant to be good news. But do we see it that way? No, we don't. Someone is coming to help you. What do we do? We start rearranging the bag. We start rearranging the bag. Oh, maybe I've done something that's triggered it. If I just rearrange it, that will fix it. And it doesn't. Someone is coming to help you. Nothing's ha happening. So what do you have to do? You've got to flag someone down. You know, you've got to get their attention. So you turn and you kind of look at them. You just try to, you try to smile because you're saying maybe that will help them to come. You know, they'll pick you and they'll come to you a little bit quicker. And you're smiling and you're thinking, you know, I wanted to serve myself. I don't want your help. If I wanted help, I would have gone to another checkout with a, with a cashier. But no, I need your help now. I don't want your help, but I need your help because it's only your almighty power with your little piece of paper that you can flick across that allows me access to move on. See what I mean? Helpless? It's not just me, surely. Surely it's not, surely it's not just me. I mean, it's a trivial thing. It's a trivial thing. And we laugh, but we know that there are far more you know, kind of serious situations where we do find ourselves helpless. You know, many of us over the past couple of years have felt helpless. We felt stuck. You know, the COVID pandemic had us, you know, kept inside for the past kind of two years. I know that there are people who still feel really quite restricted in what they they do and what they would like to do. We've got people who are watching us at home because they're in that position might not be COVID, might be another kind of health situation or concern that leaves us helpless, or we feel helpless when we're trying to help someone else, and they're in that situation. It's a horrible feeling. It's not just COVID or health. You've got the cost of living crisis that we've got at the moment. What was it they said inflation's running at? 9%? Possibly <coughs> rising? 
You'd have had your <coughs> gas bills, your electricity bills. You'd have gasped when you saw that. And what was it they used to say? Oh, you know, kind of switch suppliers. And now you're thinking, well, switching suppliers isn't going to do that much good. Feel helpless again. Take it a step further. Things like climate change, Ukraine, struggles with our mental health and our mental well-being. All these things can leave us feeling helpless, overwhelmed. And into all of that, we have some words from our reading where it says, you have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. Isn't that what we're after? Just a bit of relief. Just a bit of shade from that burning heat that we face all around us. Someone to help us. These words were written some 700 years or a bit more than 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Written by a prophet, a man named Isaiah. And he was writing to people who were going through and someone who'd actually gone through a period of real helplessness and desperation. And these words, you know, actually they were written as a song. A song celebrating victory, not celebrating their own victory, but thanking God, thanking God for doing wonderful things, miraculous things, kind of God things, things that were planned long ago. And I guess that this chapter, this song can help us to see what it looks like to receive help. It tells us, I guess, what the nature of real help is, but also what the alternative, what the opposite is for, of looking for help. And on one hand, you've got trusting in God, trusting in God's provision, and that's real help. And then the alternative is trying to go it alone, trusting yourself. And here in this passage, those two situations, those two feelings, emotions, they're characterized by two different places. They're characterized by a mountain, which is a place of God's provision, or a city seen as a place of self-reliance, of human pride. And so that's where we're going to. The city of human pride and a mountain of God's provision. So it starts here. It starts here with the writer, and he's thanking God for saving him. And there's a sense here that he's being saved from enemies, enemies who are strong and powerful. Calls them ruthless. Calls them clever. And it describes God as, as bringing them down, as bringing down their strong cities, bringing them down so that they become rubble and ruin. And maybe we read those words, we hear those words of cities being brought to rubble and ruin, and we think about what we've seen on the TV coming out of Ukraine, bombed out buildings, bombed out housing blocks, and we think, is that really what God's like? Is that really what God's like? Two things we've got to remember out of that. Firstly, this is a poetry. This is poetry. It's a song. It's language that's been created or that's there to reflect strong emotions. And wanting to stir up strong emotions amongst 
the people who are reading, who are singing, who are hearing this. And so the language is it's evocative, it is quite tense. But secondly, when you look closer, we remember, we see here that God is on the side of the weak. He's on the side of the poor and the needy. We said earlier. You see, there's this language of reversal where those who are at the top become crashing down. And those who are poor in need, those who are poor in need and seeking shelter are being lifted up. And we get a clue as to why those who are at the top, we get a clue as to how they've got up to the top and what that means. It's not just about status or position. This, um, this chapter, the whole chapter, in fact, um, you know, kind of going on a little bit forward, it's a bit like a sandwich, really. Um, the beginning and the end are like this kind of slices of bread either side. And so um, right at the beginning of the chapter, verse 2, you've got these cities that are being brought to rubble. talks about fortified towns uh, that have now become ruins that won't be rebuilt. And then at the end of the chapter bits that we didn't get round to reading, second half of verse 11, it says, God will bring down their pride despite the cleverness of their hands. And then it says, God speaks directly to these people. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them to the ground, to the very <coughs> dust. This is what God is saying about this city. Now, let's be clear about something. God doesn't have a problem with cities. God doesn't have a problem with cities. Now, sometimes for those of us who live in urban areas, in built-up areas, in cities, we can have this kind of misty, kind of eyed, you know, this kind of this ideal of the countryside. Fields, beaches, mountain peaks. And somehow we think, well, that's where I would go to be closer to God. But cities are where people are. A beach is great. A mountain is great. But it's only people, people who populate the cities that are created in God's image. There's potential in a group of people. There's potential in a city that is simply not there in a mountain range. Think about that next time you're actually, you're in the queue for something, <laughs> in the queue for a supermarket checkout. The people in front of you, all made in God's image and capable of worth. And, you know. But amongst people, there is also that potential for pride. And, and specifically, a pride that says, I can do without God. I don't need God. We don't need God for humanity to flourish. Maybe that was for a long time ago when people were a little bit less sophisticated, but now we don't need that. And, you know, in the past 20 years or so, maybe even a bit further, we've had books and authors, um, you know, people who are trying to bash religion, and in particular bashing Christianity, trying to cancel God. Think about that. Now, it's absolutely true that there have been some horrendous things that have been done in the name of God, some horrendous things that have been done by people who've twisted 
the Bible and the Bible's teaching. But let's be honest, there's actually been a lot of horror and atrocity committed by people who have no time for Christianity. Of, you know, regimes and leaders that had, had tried to have explicitly rejected Christianity, even tried to ban it. It's never succeeded, of course. Authentic Christianity seems to have grown in those very places where ruthless leaders had tried to suppress it. And actually, in the past few years, there's been a lot of writing to show that where, where human thinking and civilization has flourished and has developed with a Christian um, worldview, where there's been a kind of a Christian thinking underpinning all of that. Glenn, all, um, Glenn Scrivener, he's a, uh, an Australian author, but based on the South Coast, he's recently published, published <coughs> this book called The Air We Breathe. And in it, he says something along the lines of, like, kind of Christian history is the deepest explanation for the modern world. Talks about things like freedom, kindness, progress, equality, all flowing out of a Christian worldview. It's too much for us to get into now. Great if you get hold of the book. We've, um, we've put a link to it on, on the YouTube chat. Human city, human self-reliance. That's the first place. It's the alternative to looking for God's help is human self-reliance, human pride. And the promise here that God judges that and brings it down. And that's either side. That's the kind of the two slices of bread, either side of the sandwich. But in the middle, in the middle, kind of the, the filling of this sandwich, the filling of this song is another place. It's the mountain. God's provision. And you might be thinking, hang on a second, Mark. You just told us it's about, you know, kind of queues of people in cities. And now you're telling us about, now you're talking about mountains. He said that mountains don't bear the image of God. So, what, so what's this all about? Let me read verse 6 and 7 so you can see where we're thinking. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. What's special about the mountain? It's not the mountain in itself, but it's the mountain is the place where God meets with his people. It's where God meets and where he provides for his people. It's the complete opposite of the city of of self-reliance, the city of human pride, which says, ah, we don't need God. We don't need his help. We could just do it ourselves. But on the mountain, the people, they look to God. And God, who himself then provides a feast. It's a picture of God serving us, providing for us. A few years ago, I remember doing a Bible study with um, uh, a young man, we were talking about sacrifices. We were reading a passage in, in the Old Testament, and we were talking about something about the temple and the sacrifices that were made. And this guy, he had in mind that when the priest would come into the temple with a lamb or whatever to be sacrificed to God, that they would, you know, leave this lamb here, then run away, and then whoosh, God would, you know, like, come down and take the lamb up. 
You know, the sacrifices were given to God because God's hungry and needed to eat. It's a bit like those fantasy films, those monster films. You know, you've got this big beast, you know, the supernatural beast. And what do you need to do? You need to, like, pacify it. So you kind of throw an animal that's kind of tied up, leave it, and then, you know, the, the, the beast comes and takes it away. And that kind of just keeps the beast pacified for one moment. Or, as the Norwegian entry in Eurovision song goes, before that wolf eats my grandma, give that wolf a banana. <laughs> you might chuckle at that. You might chuckle at that. But can't we, sometimes don't we see God in the same way? I do my bit for God. I do my bit. You know, turn up at a special occasion, serve here and there, do a little bit. You know, basically throw God a bone and he leaves me alone. Give that wolf a banana before he eats my grandma. Give God just a little bit of time so that he leaves me alone and he leaves my life alone. But what this writer is talking about here is admitting our dependency on God saying that we need him to rescue us, saying that we need him to provide for us. And what he provides for us is a feast. It's the best of the best. This is the finest quality. And again, we're reminded that this is poetry, so you don't need to be a meat eater or a wine connoisseur to get the idea. I mean, I love a good chicken curry, but then again, one of the best meals I've ever had, one of the top five meals I've ever had in a restaurant was a pecan and cashew nut wellington. It's a vegan dish. First time I had it at this restaurant, I thought it was amazing, but then I thought maybe I've just got low standards for vegan food. Went back there a couple of years later, and I said, no, this is amazing. It's amazing. You know, you get the picture. This is talking about what God provides, the quality which is perfect. And yet, there's something more going on. If you're thinking about Christianity, if you're thinking about the claims of Jesus, maybe you've been invited along here or you're watching um, at home because someone shared a link with you on, on YouTube, you, you need to know that the Christian life is not of five-star cashew nut wellingtons and vintage wine. It's not that. Think of the Christians that you know. Think of your own life. You think it's not like that all the time, is it? But it's not just the feast. It's not just the feast here. It's not, not just that God is laying out the tablecloth. But the passage says that God doesn't just like lay down a sheet. He lifts another sheet up. He's lifting up the death shroud, the sheet which covers a corpse. And the writing says here that this sheet covers everyone. It covers all people. That death comes to us all. Whether it comes to us and to people that we know is a complete shock or whether it was expected after old age or illness. Whatever the case, there are tears. But the hope that's been spoken about here, the hope that's offered here, is that one day the Lord God will come and wipe those tears away without sounding crass death is on the menu verse 8 
It says he will swallow up death forever. It's actually the same verb that's described in verse 7 for destroying the shroud. God swallows that up as well. How does that happen? We're talking immortality here. Doesn't that just seem far-fetched? Hundreds of years later, fast forward past Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. The Apostle Paul, who was the great evangelist, the great church leader and planter of churches, he used these very words from this prophecy of Isaiah to talk about Jesus and specifically to talk about the resurrection. From 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. When the perishable has been clothed, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Then a little bit later, he says, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we want to understand these passages, these songs from the Old Testament, this poetry, we need to have Jesus in mind. It really, it means nothing without Jesus. So let me spell it out for us. Remember the city? The city is the place of self-reliance and of human pride. As much as I want to think otherwise, that's my birthplace. That's my birthplace. It's where I was born. Instinctively, it's where I will run to, trying to live without God, relying on my own smarts, my own cleverness, trusting in myself. And even when it does look helpless, I still want to say, I've got it in me to get myself out of this situation. I can pull myself through. And actually, that's, that's pride. That is relying on my own, on myself, not relying on God. But when we look at Jesus' life, we meet someone who said to the people, Jesus didn't come to say, come on, you can do it. It's not so bad. You've got it in yourself to get yourself out of this mess. No, Jesus effectively said, you think it's bad? Actually, you're more helpless than you realize. But then he also says this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My natural home is in the city of self-reliance. And I don't deserve to be on the mountain because my pride is like a rebellion against God. It's described elsewhere as like my disgrace and my shame. But Jesus came to die for us. He came to die for our sin. And although we were the ones who deserved to be brought low, brought down, he was the one who was humiliated. It was his body that was turned to a ruin. The shroud of death covered him. But three days later, he rose again to prove not just that death was defeated for him, but for all who trust in him. For all who say, I'm done with this city of pride. I want to trust 
and almighty God. I want to trust in Jesus. I'm going to ask the band if they want to come up now. And they're going to get us ready for our next song. But this morning, I just want us to ask the question, do we need God's help? Really, deep down, do we need God's help? Like real help, not surface level, but deep down. Do we want to say, I want out of the city of pride. I want a one-way ticket out of that place. I want out of human pride. I want out of self-reliance. And instead, I want to be on the mountain. I want to look to God. I want to be sheltered. I want to find rest and know his provision. You might be here and you're thinking about it. You're not completely sure if that's where you are, but you're to thinking there's something, maybe there's something which isn't quite, you can't let go of it, keeps coming back to you. If that's you, sign up for Hope Explored. Come and have a chat with me about that. I'll make sure that you, you get the link. would love to see you on that course. Three Wednesday evenings, we'll only meet for maybe um, an hour and a half at most. It's relaxed, it's informal. You can ask questions or you could just sit and listen. But... Maybe you are sure. Maybe you are sure. You recognize that you are helpless, but you've just been turning to yourself. Maybe you are willing to say, you want to say, I want to trust in Jesus alone. If that's you, then I'm going to say a prayer now, and I'm going to say it slowly to give you a chance to echo those words in your own heart. So let's just be quiet for a moment. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me life. Thank you for the breath in my lungs that you give to me. Thank you for all that is good in my life. And I'm sorry that I've tried to live my life without you. I'm sorry that I've put myself at the center and not you. Please forgive me for my pride, for my self-reliance. Forgive me for pushing you away. But thank you that when I needed help, someone came to help me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to be my savior. Thank you that he died to deal with my sin. Jesus, I thank you that you are now my refuge, my shelter, and my shade. And please help me now to live fully dependent on you, to keep trusting you, empowered by your Holy Spirit and to keep living that way till you return and I'm with you and my brothers and sisters are with you on that mountain forever.